Hi everyone and welcome to Hit the Apex this week. It's the Monaco Grand Prix review podcast for you and uh, whilst we didn't have probably the best of races as far as entertainment is concerned, we still got plenty to talk about anyway. We'll go over the weekly digest, have a bit of a talk about the Monaco Grand Prix as an entity itself and then uh, we'll going to resurrect Hit the Post, which we did last year as well. Talk a bit of rugby league with State of Origin around the corner. Anyway, I'm Juad, as always, joined by Baden. And yeah, the redemption story that was two years in the making is finally complete. Daniel Ricciardo wins at Monaco. Oh, what more is there to be said? It's really, it felt like it was meant to be from the outset there. All the signs coming into that weekend where the Red Bull had the the car to beat and we saw pretty quickly on Thursday's running the that was the case and really up until Saturday it looked like it was going to be line ball between both Ricardo and Max Verstappen but then when the Dutchman again sixth time in as many race weekends this season he uh, had a, a balls up uh, it was pretty much Daniel Ricardo's to lose from there and we saw what happened on Sunday and he's pulled off one of the the drives for the ages and dare we say we'll touch on soon Overall, the race probably wasn't a classic, but just for Ricardo, the way he managed that car, it's going to be one that's going to be hard to forget. It was one of those races where the individual performance, I think, um, outweighed whatever else happened on track. You know, when we talk about those classic performances from drivers like a Michael Schumacher or Ayrton Senna, and then Christian Horner did say after the race on the radio to his driver that, yeah, it was reminiscent of Schumacher's drive in Spain in 94 where he was stuck in in fifth gears and you know you can talk about Senna as well in Brazil that first time that he won on home soil having that gearbox problem too so yeah for Dan to overcome that that's great and as you said too he topped all three practice sessions all three qualifying stages as well he was fastest then he leads the race from pole to the victory I think the only thing he didn't get was the fastest lap which you know you can understand with those uh issues that he had with his MGUK lap 28 in the race basically saw the race turned upside down for him he came on the radio he said losing power and that's where all of our hearts dropped I guess at that stage it's like oh no don't tell us that it's been crueled once again but no he managed to nurse that problem one stop race basically it was an easy one and he was able to hold off Sebastian Vettel for that um, win and I guess that desire that he had for the win is probably what you know pushed him over the line to have that resilience to to end up um, overcoming the issues that he had to to win this uh, rather special race. Yeah, you can see it was the culmination of his his past here. Uh, I guess his personal standing as far as 2019 and beyond. It was a perfect storm and really controlled it um, the entire way. And of course that talk that it was boring for the other drivers, but as the leader, it's his. Uh, prerogative to, to set the pace it's always the the case at Monaco and uh, any other driver you put it to them uh, I don't think they could all have pulled off what he did being such um, against the wall with with those issues it really was marginal just to to manage that issue for really 50 laps plus and um, just his standing when you think his value alone as far as his next contract, this is going to have done wonders for it, combined with Verstappen's own indiscretion. Well, yeah, two wins for Ricardo now this season already in the first six races. But um, going back to what you were saying with managing the issue and everything, I think 
Monaco is probably the place you could get away with it. If it was any other track, perhaps it would not have been the case. But at the same time, you know, it's not like Monaco is an easy feat with the close walls and everything. You know, one mistake could have seen him in the wall or, you know, um, a mistake from Vettel behind him if he was trying to pass and whatnot. So, yeah, it was one of those races where you've got to, I guess, take it for, you know take it for what the underlying meanings are you know the way that it was achieved I think that's probably more significant than having an exciting race on track and we'll talk a bit about that later anyway with the criticisms falling out from that race but yeah going to Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton our two title protagonists um I guess they were hampered by tyre wear throughout the race and um both just complaining about graining on the front tyres they only ended up stopping the once of course with the um likes of ricardo and the rest of the pack they went from the um ultra soft tires sorry hyper soft tires over to the um ultra softs which didn't really work for them and i guess it's one of those rare occasions where we didn't have a safety car either during the race and i guess that lack of safety car probably didn't give them that opportunity to make a second stop without losing track position well when you look at all the other races today it really have been dictated by a a safety car or even a virtual safety car or both at some point during the, the racing this time around we only had the the virtual safety car in those closing laps and it really did little and in fact it blunted Vettel's uh, final rally he was putting towards uh, Ricardo there lap uh, 10 laps to go he looked like he might have been setting himself up but he just couldn't get those tires warmed up once again and it was just a, a fascinating afternoon for those title protagonists just to be relegated to to bit players even though on track they were only seconds behind Ricardo they just looked like they were in a, in a different race entirely to the Australian well yeah you know if they didn't have the tire issues and they were they had the good grip and whatnot they could have been a chance to pass him at the end but unfortunately that wasn't the case for them but still you know podium there for Vettel podium there for Hamilton um Vettel I guess you know recouping all those points that he lost in those uh, in bar not Bahrain sorry in China and then in Baku as well with those uh, well documented and issues Barcelona and Barcelona extent. too as well even though he was on the podium there um no he wasn't he was fourth at Barcelona after the pit stop under the the virtual safety car uh, wasn't okay, it okay that's <laughs> Verstappen got that lucky third place oh that's place. R- oh, that's right <laughs> it was know. a forgettable race for all of us 11 o'clock doesn't work well no no I that. thought he came back on the podium so there we go this is the first race that he's been on the podium since um thingo than Bahrain but anyway um yeah so crucial for those uh the points they're collected for those guys and um talk about them running their own race well the Finns ran their own race in fourth and fifth with Kimi finishing ahead of Valtteri Bottas Bottas ended up taking the punt on the super soft tires when he made his pit stop and I guess he was setting faster lap time on those tires than everyone else were on the ultra soft tires so I think you know if everyone had a sufficient enough pool of those super softs they could have used them in the race it could have been a bit different but yeah Bottas throwing the rolling the dice it didn't ultimately get him past Kimi but fifth is still a good result according to Mercedes to get third and fifth in the race in which they weren't going to be able to challenge the likes of Red Bull and Ferrari I think it's still impressive they had nothing to lose ultimately and they pretty much stayed where they were based on qualifying and it was just one of those races where you had the the battles amongst themselves and whoever leads again Ricardo there that's the the ultimate prize but you very rarely find any opportunity the safety cars almost that only 
window and for those Finns they were very much anonymous through the entire weekend you could see that they were they were competitive but there was just no way past and yeah you know from that bottom top five to the rest of the points in their own separate battle yeah I mean Riken and I guess you know with Vettel even being a bit anonymous not really being able to challenge those Red Bulls you know that just means Raikkonen is not going to be up there at all either and yeah for Bottas as well just trying to make the most of a weekend that Mercedes knew that they were going to struggle so fifth is still a good result regardless for the consistent Bottas and I guess moving it down and best of the rest Esteban Ocon in sixth again qualifying six two so good haul of points for Force India there and all that despite I think it was said after the race that he had a brake by wire failure during the race so that was another issue that he would have had to manage and you know um, finishing ahead of Pierre Gasly and Nico Hülkenberg, who ran pretty late into their first stint and then made a late stop. So they would have been on quicker tyres as well at the end of the race. So good result for Ocon there in sixth, of course. No surprise podium for him, as he would have been hoping, because there was no carnage really at the front. But I guess, yeah, scoring fifth, um, sorry, sixth for the Frenchman would have been great. Gasly for Toro Rosso again, solid result, seventh. And then Nico Hülkenberg, I guess, along with his teammates, signs uh, scoring points for Renault signs down in 10th yeah for Renault they're probably a little bit frustrated they couldn't have capitalized this weekend but they keep up that consistent run of points and for Force India there it was an important one for Ocon just to get really his um, tally really pumped up from that single point he had till that point after Perez's podium at Azerbaijan and uh, they continue to build that momentum just with that uh, off-track um, instability it'll be fascinating to see if that uh, can be finalized sooner than later and they can really get some uh, proper momentum into that bid for fourth in the constructor standings yeah well I wrote about them earlier in the week saying that they're still getting out to Haas this weekend Haas who on paper were the faster car or whatever it's pretty significant and you know I think Force India can really take it to them if Haas are going to be uh, if they're going to have one hand tied behind their back for the rest of the season, then yeah, Force India definitely has two drivers that could take it to them. Must be said for Haas, it's fast becoming reminiscent of 2017 where they have the pace and they just can't string together a, a race weekend, whether it's one or both drivers. It's a ripple-on effect from, you know, in Grosjean's case at Barcelona, that set him back from the outset and then Magnussen ends up on the, the rear of the grid as well. It's just a nightmare for them when they're, they're looking like they're just shooting themselves in the foot every time. Yeah, you know, he was dumbfounded with the way that the weekend panned out, panned out was Magnussen and I think they said coming into Monaco that they are going to struggle, so I guess it's no surprise, but expect them to be back up there for, for Canada, you'd think, as well, um, the next time out and even the following races after that, so that'll be good to see for them, but um, yeah, going down to Max Verstappen then, crash-laden weekend, you could say, on a weekend where Red Bull made the most of it, Ricardo, it was his weekend to own, but you know, a Red Bull 1 and 2 could have been possible, definitely. Oh, absolutely, it was hard to see any other outcome and Verstappen when he was at that point when he crashed uh, provisionally P1 there's really nothing else to be gained out of it it's just him pushing it too far once again and it just shows you that that theme that he doesn't learn at all from his mistakes and it's been every weekend this season it doesn't seem to sink in for him so you've got to wonder whether Red Bull has to take a more literal approach to um, really um, giving him some sort of reprimand because Daniel Ricciardo, he can strike that balance so perfectly and just weigh up a situation and just 
play those odds and clearly for the Dutchman, this is the one where it bites you the hardest. Well, yeah, it was basically a repeat of the crash he had in 2016. Um, exactly the same place coming out of the swimming pool section and so there you go, it adds to what you were saying about him not really learning from his mistakes. But, you know, he sort of then put everything to bed by that great recovery drive that he had on Sunday from the rear of the grid to ninth. I guess he was the only guy who was able to do some over putting in those solid drives. Yeah, and this just boosts in tandem with Ricardo, uh, his own value for in the extreme case, even though it seems so unlikely at the start of this season that Red Bull actually sees uh, Ricardo as a part of its ch- uh, future championship bid. You've got to wonder at this point whether they're just going to have to throw their bet behind both drivers because they can't, in reasonable faith, believe that Verstappen is still their guy and Ricardo is going to be a support driver on the basis of the season today. Well, you were saying earlier in the week that perhaps Verstappen needs to be um, given the caveat treatment maybe for one or two races to um, just to sort of marginalise him a little bit and uh, wake him up and tell him, yeah, you know, this is not on, you're costing us, I mean, we talked about this, I think, a couple of weeks ago, where Red Bull have lost a lot of points, yeah, we talked about this after Baku, sorry, that the amount of points that Red Bull have hemorrhaged this season is pretty, well, if it was a Mercedes or Ferrari, it would be unforgivable almost, but because it's Red Bull and it's Max Verstappen, it almost seems like it goes unnoticed a little bit, or if it was Danny Kvyat, for example, it would have been, yeah, unforgivable, so because it's Verstappen, it sort of is going under the radar a little bit, but yeah, it's a lot of points that they've lost, and I guess for Verstappen's own um, championship bid, whatever you want to call it, his position in the championship. I mean, he's he's still way down in on the table while Ricardo jumps up into th- to third as a result of that second win. Yeah, for Red Bull at this point, it's hard to see them clawing into contention for second in the constructors, let alone first. Do you think that Verstappen could have been probably third himself in the drivers with the points where he was sitting when he's had all of these errors, apart from that weekend at Bahrain when there was some reliability problems, um, you've got to say that uh, he's really uh, his own worst enemy at this point. Most Ricardo, unless he's uh, entangled in friendly fire, he optimises every situation. Pretty much. And yeah, friendly fire at Baku, that was about it for, for Ricardo there. So um, more tales of woes, I guess, uh, as we look further down the grid, and uh, blown gearbox for Fernando Alonso as he was fighting Pierre Gasly for points, um, and no points for McLaren on the weekend with Van Dorn down the order as well, and for Fernando Alonso, I guess it almost is a bit forgotten that last year he wasn't at this race, he was at the Indy 500, ended up retiring too, so, you know, no results for him this time around in Monaco, so where will he be next year, you wonder, will he be doing the Indy 500, or will he be lining up for another Monaco Grand Prix that's one question that we're going to look to answer over the next 12 months yeah he's in an interesting place and again the next uh, few weeks just like Red Bull's own future with its engine supplier I think by the uh, the mid-season break we'll know a lot more um, on where some of these iconic uh, figures and teams will will be in the future and for the Spaniard it, it really is uh, up to him at this point he's waited long enough been patient enough for McLaren to get it right and as much as these uh, been these uh, consistent points hauls up until this weekend um, you've got to wonder whether it's enough to sate him and you couldn't blame him if he wanted to go off and try something new. 
Yeah, exactly. So um, Alonso will be another narrative to look at throughout the season. Williams, again, dismal race for them. It didn't really start well for Sergei Sorotkin, getting a penalty right at the start of the race for uh, the team not having the wheels on the car before the three-minute signal or whatever. And I think he copped another penalty during the race as well. Lance Stroll, I guess, a repeat of last year's race where he just he had no pace, he had no direction, he just had no hope, it seems. And, you know, you almost... That radio call that he had again was similar to last year where he was just, you know, crying for help, basically. He just mm. didn't Fix a- it. Do something about it. He it's just, not me. It's all you guys. He just had no idea. And I guess we heard the news, too, um, earlier on that uh, Williams have parted ways with their head aerodynamicist in Dirk De Beer. So I guess the heads are starting to roll there at Williams. But, you know... Yeah, we, the season's pretty much written off. We can only just continue to criticise them for what what's what happens, what plays out. Yeah, they're at a stage where you'd say almost just go to the factory and don't bother showing up because they're contributing nothing to the, the grid. It's just a sad state, but we hardly even pay any attention to them at this point. It's just, just again, a stark fall over that trajectory since uh, partnering up with Mercedes who thought they were on track for great things and now they're arguably at one of its lowest ebbs in its entire history. Yeah, you almost forget that they've got that Mercedes power unit under their belt. You know, that was practically their um, ace card that they had up their sleeve um, in previous seasons. But yeah, now that, you know, it doesn't really play tricks with anyone anymore. So yeah, they've got to step up from a, a chassis point of view. So, and Charles Leclerc as well, unfortunate um, result for him. His run of points broken. He had that late crash with Brennan Hartley coming out of the tunnel where the Sauber guy lost the brakes in his car and I guess unfortunate outcome for Hartley as well considering Gasly ended up uh, earning points. Yeah, Hartley had quite a credible week and he was on the pace in those practice sessions unfortunately wasn't helped by traffic and qualifying but it looked like it was a good comeback for him from that forgettable weekend at Barcelona and all that off-track speculation about his own future which is quite harsh I think considering he's really not done a lot wrong and sure Gasly's the one who seems to have the bigger picture within Red Bull but Hartley could have been far worse to date and for Leclerc there was nothing he could have done he was essentially a passenger as well and he probably uh, did his best to minimize what could have been quite a nasty crash when his brakes failed he at least made sure that the the debris would be relegated to that off um, ramp the, the avoiding as well that tech pro barrier which can be quite nasty if you collide with that yeah well Sauber drivers in the past have felt its mm, pain Sergio Perez. Perez back in 2011 Carl Wendlinger, Wendlinger as well in 94 so um, it's not one that you want to meet but anyway it wasn't that significant anyway considering they just had a virtual safety car out for uh, a little while and that was pretty much it um didn't really have an impact on the race um but well, yeah pretty much ensured ricardo would win yeah exactly so pretty much that was the case but anyway wrapping it up um so ricardo 38 points behind the championship leader now um this was red bull's best chance to win a race uh they've won he won in uh china as well so you know can we see regular wins from the Red Bull driver? Can we see regular podiums? Can he be within, say, 20 points of the championship leader going into those final stages of the race? Perhaps, you know, you know, he could be that Smokey in this year's title. He could be Sebastian Vettel in 2010. Oh, you look at Silverstone and Hungary and Singapore for three prime examples. There's circuits we can expect Red Bull to 
almost have that car to beat. The other ones, they really just need to, to be on the podium at the least and maybe hope Ferrari or Mercedes trip over each other because they're, they're coming from a, a long way back again. But if they can just make these small inroads, uh, Verstappen's another story, but for Ricardo, he's got that incentive now. Two victories, really. It's quite fascinating when you look at how alongside Vettel and Hamilton, they've now each had two victories. So uh, by rights, you should be right in that title equation, if not on paper, certainly in debate. Well, when you consider the points lost in Baku, if you add those back to his tally, he would be within 20 points or within 25 points at least of uh, championship leader Lewis Hamilton. So that's another big spanner that you could throw into the works there. And I guess for... Sebastian Vettel, he's 14 points now behind Lewis Hamilton, so even he, you know, has lost out um, on a couple of occasions this season to Lewis Hamilton and the others, so yeah, it's going to be interesting, it's just about stringing together those consistent weekends and getting as many points as you can, because it's no longer Mercedes versus Mercedes, or Mercedes versus Ferrari as it were last year, you know, we've got that Red Bull up in the mix as well, and uh, Daniel Ricciardo, um, in there too which is good yeah the more variety the better and you can only hope with 2019's regulations that it's going to become even more uh the the depth there at the front of the field uh diverse so we'll we'll see how things pan out for the rest of this season it's just red bull being consistent and you couldn't ask for much more no not at all and i guess moving it on to the driver of the day as well um hard to go past danny rick for this one as well oh likewise what more do you need to say again, not for the, the spectacle of the race objectively, but that drive in isolation from Ricardo, uh, people probably who can't appreciate some of those earlier drives if they, they weren't around or they just weren't following the sport in the, the 90s or early 2000s for that reference point. It's hard to put it into context just how masterful it was. Yeah, so this is one we'll definitely be talking about for years to come and hopefully, um, yeah, it's up there with the likes of a Senna and a Schumacher drive that we talked about earlier. But um, while we're still on the topic of Monaco, I, I didn't really think much of it at the start at after the race um straight away but because it's still being talked about now four or five days later i thought let's let's talk about it and that's the criticism that's come out of the monaco grand prix this year um world champions and ambassadors of f1 in fernando alonso and lewis hamilton have labeled the year the race this year as being boring and alonso saying that fans should have got a refund for what happened as well and then people have started losing their minds about oh you know Monaco shouldn't be on the calendar or they should change the race they should change the track layout there's been um, you know designs being brought forward from people and it's just like didn't think it was that bad as we said off the top of the piece that yeah it was one of those races where not a lot happened but you know the individual performance sort of outshone the rest of the field so you know what do you make of this I mean i I, for one, just, yeah, I can't understand why these criticisms are coming out. If Lewis Hamilton had won the race, he would say it would be the best race in the world, even if it was a a complete walkover victory like he's had in the past at other venues. So, yeah, you know, it's just seems like a lot of hot air coming out of these guys. It's funny how every year after these Hamiltons or Alonso's or Vettel's or even Nico Rosberg, when they won the race, they said it was the greatest experience ever and they couldn't imagine anything ever 
to to be more memorable and yet they have a race where they're um, a not too distant second or third and clearly it's because on that given week and they just don't have the best car and suddenly it's like can this race at first opportunity it's so subjective to to their standing and you've got to see that on merit uh, it's just about getting it right across the weekend and executing that final lap and qualifying and, and yes if that's the dictating factor for being on top of the podium, then, then so be it. Monaco's always been that special in that the race is almost 90% won a day early. So um, well done to, to Ricardo. He had the pressure on him and it wasn't a fait accompli that he would get it done on Saturday, yet he did. And the rest of it, he had the adversity there and too bad to the rest there. They, they clearly have had their own experience on the top step previously and it's Daniel Ricciardo's turn on this occasion. But the way that people have come out, like fans and the like and pundits as well, it's just like, don't you, you're forgetting that, how much prestige this race holds like you wouldn't say that about um say the indy 500 or the 24 hours of le mans race bathurst 1000 is another marquee event um you wouldn't say that about that that oh we should change the the track or change the race fundamentally or whatever what the traditional thing was i mean it's the jewel in the crown event and the fact that you know it just seems like people are being a bit ungrateful about this i mean yeah we didn't get a safety car and whatnot but you know it's fine it happens from year year to year that oh we don't get a uh, an exciting enough race and still i think let's take away the whole nationalistic perspective that we've got because of ricardo's win um if it was anyone else we would have been talking about it the same way that they managed to nurse the issue home and it was a, a good win for them so yeah it just seems like a hot a lot of hot air coming out of people who perhaps don't understand the value of monaco on the calendar and you do also have to wonder on the back of the start to the season, I guess you don't really count Barcelona as a classic, but we had some great racing there and whether it's just part of that bigger uh, letdown that every race isn't an absolute all-time classic, so people are thinking, oh, Monaco, it should be up there go as far as making any changes i mean that's just i I don't think they i don't think liberty would um but yeah you know the fact that it's even being considered is it's beyond (laughs) beyond um comprehension but anyway we'll move it on to the digest anyway and i guess one of the big storylines over the weekend was this uh business regarding ferrari's ers system and there was an investigation into it as and everything and um the way that i guess giving you some background the way in which their MGUK or whatever works or MGH, one of them, um, is that whilst the regulations dictate that you can only have one battery there, what Ferrari have done is taken that one battery, right, the power, whatever, how many, four megajoules of energy or whatever, and split it into two. So it's effectively the one battery just split in half rather than having two separate batteries. And I think that's where the grey area was and that Mercedes said, oh, you know, can we get some clarification in regards to this? And then that's basically what sparked the investigation into it. And then the fact that the FIA came out afterwards and actually named um, the individuals from Mercedes who had... Uh, brought this forward and the fascinating aspect these individuals do have recent history with yes so mr lorenzo sassi who was actually the engine man at ferrari until july last year i believe and then james allison of course the technical director so toto wolf and mercedes come out and said that they feel like they've been thrown under the bus here but um the fact that yeah they came out and sparked this investigation essentially i mean there's no surprise that they were thrown under the bus because i guess 
Formula One, that's just the weird way it works is that when someone is winning, the other person is going to try whatever they can rather than to, to better them is to try and bring them down some way or not. And I guess the FIA didn't find anything illegal with the Ferrari. They're going to monitor them going into the next race as well still. But yeah, ultimately, there was nothing for the FIA to come down on Ferrari with. And as much as you see off the track, Ferrari and Mercedes are in league surrounding the 2021 regulations when it comes to on track. As soon as it's clear that Ferrari might have that uh, momentum, Mercedes isn't a shrinking violet and they're happy to, to do the, the same tactics, employ those that Ferrari might have in years gone by, anything to level that playing field. Yeah, exactly. But moving it on, I guess this is someone that uh, Mercedes are not going to employ from Ferrari because he's joined Sauber. Simone Resta has uh, left Ferrari effective immediately to become the technical director over there at Sauber, uh, taking over from as Jorg Zander, who left earlier in the year. And I guess... If anything, this just furthers further strengthens those ties between Ferrari and uh, Sauber with talks that, oh, yeah, you know, they're going to become the fully-fledged Alfa Romeo factory team in the future as well. So I guess it's of good benefit. Usually there's a bit of gardening leave involved between um, switching teams. But, yeah, Ferrari are happy for Simone Resta to take his immediate knowledge from the Scuderia over to Sauber, hoping that it'll strengthen Sauber's position. Oh, both parties win here, and I think you can see in the longer term with uh, Mario Bonotto at the helm at Ferrari, Simone Resta can get some really good experience there at Sauber or Alfa Romeo, whatever it might be in the future, and perhaps come back forward as well. Um, there's talk perhaps active suspension is on the cards to return for 2021 as a um, standardised component as well, so not that all the teams would go out and make their own but having it as one of those standardized components we talked about when um, Liberty brought forward those proposals for 2021 that they were looking at increasing the amount of standardized components on the cars perhaps not the components that you really see on the outside but more the ones that you don't really see and fans don't really need information on or don't really care about so this could be one of those other things that to cost cost they use an external supplier for this component yeah, you can see it's one of those logical steps uh, about, I guess, not so much parity, but just being economical for all of those teams rather than having to put in $200 million on some uh, technology and find themselves languishing. This one could allow them to focus on other areas and perhaps more um, resources on the, the best uh, personnel rather than everything into some, some piece of uh, technology there that doesn't end up working. And you can see as long as it's... It's relevant again, just like everything has since the hybrid era commenced, then it should have a place in the sport. Yeah, exactly. So if it works out, you know, as one of those component standardized parts, then that would be great. And one less thing for the teams to worry about as far as development on their own front. Um, Renault, they want a decision from Red Bull as soon as possible with the deadline, I guess, looming for the 2019 engine deal. And um you know, Red Bull came out and Barcelona said that they're closely monitoring Honda's progress. I guess Honda have a big upgrade coming for Canada as well, um, which Toro Rosso will be excited about. So perhaps, you know, in the coming weeks, we could hear a decision about what the um, future for Red Bull and their engine supplier is going to be. Yeah, you think with that Mark II update for Honda and indeed Renault, maybe not to the same degree since they're, they're tracking all right. You could say it's more of just a relative upgrade and then... You'd think that maybe um, Silverstone would be an ideal point with those sweeping maggots and beckets just to gauge how um, 
really genuine Honda is as far as having that uh, speed and then out into a straight line um, as far as 2019 and probably at that point Red Bull and also also that ripple on effect to Daniel Ricciardo as well they're hand in hand so you'd hope surely by the the summer break that we're going to have uh, an outcome on both fronts. Well Christian Horner said something weird after Monaco saying that getting that engine deal sorted is more important than Ricardo putting pen to paper at the moment. So I guess that may have a big impact into what Ricardo does next year anyway. So yeah, it could be wise for Red Bull to get the engine thing sorted first before they look to re-signing their driver if they are going to re-sign him in the first place. Yeah, well, Ricardo's not going to wait around until November to make a move. So if, if Red Bull's prevaricating by uh, July or August, then he's within his rights to sign with the Ferrari, Mercedes, McLaren, whoever it might be, because he's at the peak of his powers right now and can't hinge on maybe a, a bad decision by Red Bull after taking such a long time. Yeah, exactly. And topping it off now then with, because uh, we had the Indy 500 on over the weekend as well, and uh, Will Power made it. A double Aussie delight for us Monday morning with um, the first Aussie ever to win the race over there in the United States. Um, it only came into his hands right at the end of the race when a fuel gamble didn't pay off for Stefan Wilson, unfortunately. But yeah, Will Power, just emotional after the race. I mean, I'm not going to repeat the words that he said <laughs> rather expletively on the radio. But yeah, basically he wants respect from people for this win. I mean, he's been a champion of the category in the past. He's been a Penske stalwart as well. And to win at 14 Penske as well, I guess it's that box that he wanted to tick over there in IndyCar. So great win and great result for him. Yeah, he's been a bit of a, a long-time campaigner in IndyCars and he's had his ups and downs and it took him a long time to crack that title. He probably uh, didn't get to grips with the oval configuration for a long time, but when, once he got that sorted, that championship came and this one really will put him down there as um, certainly since the reunification back in, I think, 08 uh, as one of IndyCar's modern greats. Yeah, exactly. And at 37 years age as well, I guess he's in contention for this year's championship too, which is going to be um, good to see if he can add another one to his belt. Um, Ed Carpenter ended up second, who was the pole sitter for the race. I guess that's a career best result for the local there at um, in, of Indianapolis and Scott Dixon, the quasi Aussie slash Kiwi or whatever, third in the race too. So good result for him. And I guess an inauspicious way for Danica Patrick to bow out of motorsport with that crash and it seemed as though she didn't really have much to do with it it was just losing control of the car at that point into I think it was turn two and from that point no one can really recover a car such is the aerodynamics yeah such is the speed as well there it's unforgiving um on the ovals there um especially with the Indianapolis 500. And as we were saying before, could Alonso be on the grid next year full-time perhaps? In, could McLaren in Indy? be full-time? Could McLaren be there with Alonso full-time in um, IndyCar? So that'll be an interesting narrative to, to look forward to. Um, one thing's for sure is that... Um, Team Penske have said that um, Elio Castroneves will be back for another uh, another bid, even though he's not there full-time this year. He's uh, racing in IMSA for Penske, but he was a sort of wildcard entry there for, for Penske at Indy again this time out. So, you know, it'd be great to see that uh, popular name back again next year. And if Alonso comes, it'll be pretty juicy for sure. Yeah, a lot to play out, really, but you can see that um, as far as him having the taste from the past, he 
he knows what he's going to get himself into. And um, as much as we'd miss him in F1, if he were to move on, I think motorsport as a whole would be greater for the the outcome. Yeah, if he can get some success there, of course. And um, so that sort of concludes our um, motorsport section of this week's podcast. We're going to revive what we branded last year as Hit the Post, which is our rugby league or rugby sort of discussion um, section or whatever. And why not talk a bit of rugby league anyway with State of Origin coming up um, by the time we go to air next week. The first game of State of Origin will already be uh, run and won, you could say. Um, We had the new look teams unveiled ahead of game one next week at the MCG. Will it be the same old narrative, though? Will Queensland prevail over New South Wales, even though they've got 11 exciting debutants and a new coach at the helm as well with a cultural change, perhaps, um, in the works as well under coach Brad Fittler? So, yeah, what do we expect going into it? I've heard so many narratives each time there's a a wholesale change at New South Wales, a new philosophy that um, it's going to put them in prime position and they often get out of the gates really quickly, but it's sustaining it. Queensland's just so resilient there and even with their so-called old-timers who really most uh, prominently have moved on apart from Billy Slater and more on him shortly, but it's very much a, a different lineup at Queensland, so it could be a different outcome on this occasion, they've really got to get those inexperienced legs there to, to be on song from the outset. And probably uh, the, the leveller there will be the fact that it's played on neutral territory at the MCG. Yeah, the first game, that is. But yeah, Queensland, even though New South Wales have got all those debutants, Queensland having to replace uh, all these legends that have retired in the last 12 months. So at the end of last year, we learned Jonathan Thurston, Cooper Cronk would hang up their representative boots. Um, then a few weeks ago, Cameron Smith made the shock announcement, who's the incumbent captain and also, you know, the the goal kicker for Queensland. And now Billy Slater, ahead of the series, has announced that he'll be retiring, thankfully, at the end of the series. That would have been a huge fiasco if it was six days out. So, you know, at least we get to see him go around one more time, another legend of the sport and, of course, of Queensland too. So, yeah, a real changing of the guard over there at Queensland. Good to see that they've appointed Greg Inglis as the captain as well. A lot of leadership qualities out of him. Um, They're still trying to figure out who's going to be their goal kicker now with Smith out of the out of, out of the team and whatnot, but yeah, both lineups look really exciting, and for New South Wales too, it's I just like the new. I guess I like the nature of the players that they've chosen. They see a lot of them seem like they're clean skins, and we're not going to have this not a job for the boys nature. The, the, these the issues, yeah, that we had in the past with the the likes of Josh Dugan and Blake Ferguson <laughs> getting in there with the experienced hand of James Maloney, and then of course. Um, just real exciting players like Josh Haddo-Carr from the Melbourne Storm as well, getting his um, origin debut, Jimmy the Jet, James Roberts from Brisbane as well. Yeah, it's just um, really exciting to see. So, you know, will we have the same old story? That's the big question. But uh, yeah, a lot of New South Welshmen are licking their lips, hoping that this could be the year for them. Yeah, it's a bit more of a definitive line to be drawn underneath it all, and especially after this series when... Slater does hang up the, the gear, at least representative-wise, that uh, I think we can look towards saying that, that that not necessarily... It's just X many people at all who have that capacity to, to run two marathons in eight days and to be so competitive. And indeed, he, he quite a 
intriguingly had his knock physically quickly well it comes back to i guess the ricardo thing as well you know having that mental um capacity to even though in the face of adversity to to be able to pull off the remarkable taking any kind of supplements or whatever but (laughs) no i'm pretty clean skin yeah it comes to the but the thing is it's it's there's so much out there today for the modern athlete to be able to sustain the level of um to have that high level of endurance and whatnot and i guess the way in which you guys train as well is is a big factor and the fact that it's not the same as what it was maybe 10 15 20 years ago a lot of these old timers who think they know um everything and giving you guys the criticism and whatnot um yeah the way in which you train plays a big plays a big factor in it all as well and I guess yeah you know if he can sustain it good on him and great job Uh, again as I said to you the other day yeah um, great job from him to to be able to back it up uh, one week after the Great Ocean Road one yeah absolutely it just shows you that if you really want it badly enough there's nothing to to stop you exactly Um, for me I guess uh, with there's a lot um, but to nail it, I guess we had Pakistan beat England in the first test match there at Lords. Um, England just hopeless, I guess, after the Ashes. But for me, it was um, in the NBA Finals. Uh, we have the Cavs meeting the Warriors again this year in the Finals. But the Cavs just... There seem to be a one-man army at the moment. And LeBron James is the one who basically took them in those final two games against Boston to win the series and I thought that it would be Boston going into the finals um, but yeah LeBron on not home court either on the uh, on Boston's home turf was able to pull out that game seven victory and yeah you know he's putting in those remarkable performances and I guess coming up against the Warriors who have a full strength team Cleveland don't It'll be interesting if uh, LeBron can put up a fight against the likes of Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, and if they can win another championship, that will be pretty significant. And you have to call this almost the decider in the essence of it's being the third consecutive playoff series for them, that it almost uh, shows uh, putting putting a line under, who knows if it has another um, episode next season. I think it's the, the fourth consecutive, maybe. For yeah. now, though, like when you look at it, it's just ridiculous that both uh, teams have been able to sustain such dominance over a season where you, there's just, what, 100 games, isn't there? Or 82, ridiculous. yeah, games. It's just yeah. phenomenal to get it right at the pointy end of the season when so many things go wrong. You get one injury and you're pretty much decimated. Well, that's what happened to Boston, but they still managed to make the make it as far as they did Houston as well I certainly thought that they might have got the measure of the Warriors but their inconsistency um, lost it for them in the end so yeah to see these old foes up against each other again who knows whether LeBron will stay at Cleveland anyway beyond this season that's going to be a big talking point in the postseason and everything so um, yeah it could be different um championship next year when we look at it but anyway we've got seven games coming up hopefully in the NBA finals so I'll be watching with great intrigue that's for sure but um, as far as this podcast is concerned that's all for today Um, thanks for tuning in next week we'll be previewing the Canadian Grand Prix as we get as we look forward to waking up at four in the morning to watch that race thankfully it's a public holiday so we don't have much to worry about anyway and uh, yeah we'll see what happens over at the MCG as well with the first state of origin game so thanks again for joining us and we'll see you guys next time till then